Dietary guidelines tell us to consume less fat and eat more whole grains. Dietitians and doctors tell us that saturated fat is bad, that we need to move more and eat less to manage weight. The Atkins diet, paleo diet, low-carb and ketogenic diets tell us to slash carbs and return to more meats and fats. Vegan and vegetarian diets tell us that animal products are toxic, but grains are good. Why is there so much confusion over diet? No other species on the planet experiences this uncertainty. A wolf, deer, frog, giraffe, or lion knows exactly what it wants to eat without regard to fats or calories. And obesity and our human diseases of lifestyle are virtually unknown among these creatures, except for the ones we domesticate and feed fake food. There was a series of events that led us down this path. In this episode of Defiant Health, let's recount a handful of those events because it will help you make sense out of diet. What's true, what is false, what is misinterpretation, misrepresentation, or plain blundering, or just marketing. Later on the podcast, let's talk about Defiant Health's sponsors that include Paleo Valley, who provides fermented grass-fed beef sticks, bone broth protein rich in collagen, organic super greens, and low-carb superfood bars, and now 100% grass-fed and finished pastured meats. And our newest sponsor, BiotaQuest, who provides unique probiotics such as Sugar Shift to support healthy blood sugars and Simple Slumber to assist in obtaining healthy sleep probiotics crafted with the unique property of combining synergistic microbes. I believe it really helps to understand diet by looking at how all this occurred. Why in the 21st century does confusion seem to to reign? Most people have no idea what a healthy diet looks like. There's mass confusion and there shouldn't be. You actually can construct a very healthy diet that maintains slenderness, maintains health, keeps you free of modern diseases, and may even preserve youthfulness for a longer period of time as you age. Some of my own personal lessons in diet came about 35 years ago when I attended an American College of Cardiology meeting that I attended every year to learn about the new technologies, as back then I was doing heart procedures. Well, there was a poster outside of the lecture room that said Dr. Dean Ornish was going to lecture on the results of his lifestyle heart trial. Well, I listened to his lecture, and he claimed that he reversed coronary disease. That's the atherosclerosis in the coronary arteries that causes heart attack. So I took it at face value and decided I'd give it a try. He said he accomplished this by putting a number of people, about 28 people, on an ultra-low-fat, vegetarian, no-animal-product diet. And he claims that this reversed, slightly reversed the degree of coronary atherosclerosis. So I came back home and gave it a try. I actually talked to a number of patients with coronary disease because these people are often desperate for better answers, right? They survived sudden cardiac death or a heart attack or had bypass surgery or had angioplasty. And so me, along with a number of patients, several dozen of them, in fact, went on this idea of following a, an ultra-low-fat, less than 10% of calories from fat, no, ad, no animal products, only plant products, and whole grains. Well, I saw disasters develop, both in me and in my patients. Personally, my triglycerides went up to 390 milligrams, which is very high. 
My HDL, the good, so-called good, cholesterol dropped to 27 milligrams per deciliter. I developed a whole bunch of small LDL particles, about 1,800 nanomoles per liter, which is very high. And that's a, that is, by the way, the primary driver of coronary disease, not LDL cholesterol. A story for another day. My blood sugar leapt up into the diabetic range. I became a type 2 diabetic. I was hypertensive, and I gained a bunch of abdominal fat. Now, I was in my late 30s and was quite active. I rode my bike. I played tennis, I jogged three to five miles a couple or three times a week, so I was very active, yet I became a type 2 diabetic, developed abdominal fat, and disastrous metabolic markers like that high triglycerides and small LDL particles. I saw similar phenomena develop in my patients. They all develop high triglycerides, low HDL, small LDL, hypertension, abdominal fat, over and over again. Well, it was an illustration that the wrong diet can be a disaster, in this case, a low-fat vegetarian diet. I called Dr. Ornish and told him what had happened to me and my patients, and he said that we were eating too much white processed grain products. I said, absolutely not. This is strictly whole grains. Well, we never quite settled the question. Sometime later, I looked again at his study, and it became clear he did not reverse coronary disease. He's not a cardiologist, by the way. He's a primary care doctor, and he made a claim that's simply not true. The method used to prove that coronary disease was reversed cannot be used to prove that you have reversed coronary atherosclerosis. Also, the outcomes of his study were very poor. The majority of the 28 people in the original study had heart attacks, had bypass surgery, developed congestive heart failure, or died. He collaborated with Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, an ear, nose, and throat surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, who also made the claim that he reversed coronary disease with a vegetarian low-fat diet, but he made a medical student-level mistake by calling a blood clot in someone's coronary artery coronary atherosclerosis. That is something entirely different, unrelated to reversing coronary disease. So we have a lot of bad information coming from a world from essentially people advocating a low-fat vegetarian diet that has dramatic metabolic adverse effects. Now, they are aware that when you follow their lifestyle, low-fat vegetarian, there is a dramatic rise in triglycerides, a rise in VLDL particles, very low-density lipoprotein particles, marked increase in small LDL particles, a drop in HDL, and often a rise in blood sugar. But they defend this collection of metabolic distortions as inconsequential as long as you're low-fat. There is absolutely no evidence for that contention. And so we know that from this and other experiences that a very strict low-fat vegetarian diet is a very destructive lifestyle. Since then, a wide variety of other diets have appeared, often directly contradictory to each other. Low-fat, vegetarian, vegan, paleo, ketogenic, carnivorous, and many others, including the lifestyle that I advocate. As I pointed out in the introductory comments, animals living in the wild don't have this concern, don't have this debate. They just eat what their instinct tells them to do, what's coded into their genetic code, and they do fine. They never get fat. They have no diabetes. They have no dementia. They have very rare colon cancer and other diseases that are very common among modern people. Likewise, the few remaining hunter-gatherers have no obesity, no type 2 diabetes, no dementia, Virtually no colon cancer, no diverticular disease, no hemorrhoids, no hypertension, virtually no coronary disease. In other words, that long list of diseases of civilization, that's what the anthropologists actually call it, are absent in these hunter-gatherers who live a lifestyle 
that is similar to what was done 10,000, 100,000 years ago. The style of eating, hunting and gathering that is programmed into the human genetic code. Compare this to modern humans who are experiencing more diabetes, more obesity, more dementia, and other conditions. It's therefore clear that we are doing something desperately wrong in diet. Among the most important events that led to this state of confusion was the release of Dietary Guidelines, an initiative that came from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services in 1977 and delivered via the USDA, based on the beliefs of a handful of non-scientists and scientists who were convinced that cutting fat, that dietary fat, especially saturated fat, was the cause of cardiovascular disease, which was on the rise. Even though the studies performed up till that time had shown that dietary fat had nothing to do with heart disease. And in fact, when you did cut dietary fat, especially if you replaced saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat, there was an increase in death, especially deaths from cancer. Despite this, these people were so convinced that dietary fat ended up in the coronary arteries that they introduced that concept into dietary guidelines. And you know the rest over the ensuing 50, 60 years that this has been deeply ingrained in the thinking of Americans and many people have followed a diet of low-fat, low-saturated fat. The few studies that were performed, many of which did indeed show no reduction in cardiovascular events with reduction in fat, some of the studies held up as proof that cutting fat reduces cardiovascular risk were so poorly constructed that in today's time, it, they wouldn't have even have been published because the rules to construct a properly designed clinical trial had not yet been developed. Better constructed studies have been conducted since then, such as the very significant Women's Health Initiative study, where women did reduce dietary fat, and that showed no reduction in cardiovascular risk. Despite that, confusion continues to prevail because the people who drafted dietary guidelines and deliver that message refused to back down. They refused to admit their mistake. You can imagine what would happen if they did. They'd say something like, you know, we're sorry. We spent the last 50 years advocating a diet that not only is ineffective for weight management and health, but actually contributed substantially to the epidemics of overweight and obesity and type 2 diabetes. There's going to be a lot of heads flying if they did that. A lot of careers damaged, a lot of careers ended, and so no one's ever come forth with a, an apology or a retraction. I don't think we ever will have one. Another phenomenon that adds to the confusion was the trend to accept what's called observational epidemiologic evidence as fact, and you cannot do that. Let me tell you what that means. So let's say you're in a study, and I say, I ask you, tell me what you ate for breakfast on Monday. You say, well, I think I had a bowl of oatmeal with skim milk and a side of rye toast, right? And then what did you eat for lunch? And you think, oh, I ate at work, so I had a sandwich of low-fat turkey breast with mayonnaise on whole wheat bread. What did you have for dinner? And so on. And you do this over, say, five days of recall, dietary recall questionnaires. And then we contact you again in five years or 10 years or 12 years and see what became of you. And if you had, let's say, colon cancer, we'd look back at your diet and say, ah, this person had too much white bread and it caused colon cancer. You can see the dramatic and substantial flaws in trying to make cause-effect determinations this way. You cannot. Because recall is imperfect. In fact, people often answer questions telling the investigator what they think that they want to hear. And people change their diets, often dramatically, many times over the years. So to try to take a few days of a diet 
pattern and then try to predict outcomes in terms of heart disease or colon cancer or other diseases is a useless exercise. The only usefulness of that kind of exercise, that is epidemiologic or observational data, is to generate an hypothesis that then has to be proven in a real clinical trial. Unfortunately, the people who performed met much of this work, much of it coming from the Harvard School of Public Health. It was billed as fact to the USDA, and that's why the USDA and other agencies like the American Heart Association refer to that very flawed body of science or pseudoscience as fact, and it is not fact. And once again, the handful of actual human clinical trials, randomized clinical trials, show that there is no connection between total fat, saturated fat, and in this case, cardiovascular disease. Another series of events that have caused confusion, have added to the confusion, are the many changes introduced into food by geneticists, agricultural scientists, and the food industry. Among them are the proliferation of carbohydrates, mostly junk carbohydrates in the diet. When you cut fat, as many Americans have done, you've got to take up the calorie slack somehow, and most people turn to carbohydrates. Could be grains, could be refined, could be whole grains, could be sugar. It makes no difference because they all have the same metabolic consequences. And an increase in carbohydrate intake, carbohydrate and sugar intake, causes insulin resistance. And that's the factor that drives accumulation of abdominal visceral fat, type 2 diabetes, risk for heart disease, breast cancer, fatty liver, and many other common chronic conditions that are afflicting more and more Americans. So the cut your fat message led to a disastrous change in diet that causes insulin resistance and all its consequences. Another important change that occurred in diet developed during the 1960s and 1970s. And that's, if you're familiar with my wheat belly arguments, you know that the wheat plant was changed. It was changed from a four and a half or five foot tall traditional plant into an 18 inch tall, short, thick stalked plant with large seeds and large seed head. They did that not for evil purpose, but to increase yield per acre to help feed the world. But the dramatic changes introduced into the wheat plant introduced a number of effects such as a change in the gliadin protein within gluten, and the gliadin protein became a much more potent appetite stimulant upon partial digestion. They are digested into four or five amino acid long peptide fragments that have an appetite stimulating effect on the human brain. Modern wheat is sometimes sprayed with glyphosate, the herbicide also, as a desiccant. And glyphosate, yes, it's an herbicide, but it's also an antibiotic. So when you consume it, it has antibiotic effects on bowel flora and contributes to dysbiosis and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. And these are situations that also amplify insulin resistance and in turn thereby cause expansion of abdominal visceral fat, heart disease, hypertension, breast cancer risk, fatty liver, etc. So changes introduced into the wheat plant, and there, are, there are others, by the way, those are just a couple, added to the deterioration in health, expansion of wastes, increase in obesity. Of course, starting in the 1970s, there was a hyper-proliferation of processed foods from the processed food industry, and they were billed as healthy. Remember when the low-fat message came out, people ate low-fat cookies, for instance, or low-fat chips and thought they were healthy. Of course, those are unhealthy carbohydrates, especially from grains and sugars. And that adds to the expansion of abdominal visceral fat and all the health conditions that accompany that. And lastly, the proliferation of synthetic sweeteners, especially aspartame, saccharin, and sucralose that have been shown with good evidence to change the intestinal microbiome, the gastrointestinal microbiome. And even if you take a slender, vigorous person 
and give them those sweeteners, say as a diet cola. They develop the microbiome of an obese type 2 diabetic. And that microbiome causes you to become, to trend towards becoming an obese type 2 diabetic. So the proliferation of those synthetic sweeteners added substantially to the weight gain effect and type 2 diabetes. And it explains why people who drink sugary colas are more slender than people who drink diet sodas. So I hope you come to understand that if someone tells you, a dietitian or a doctor or someone else tells you that you should eat plenty of healthy whole grains, cut your fat, everything in moderation, choose diet soft drinks over sugary soft drinks, they've given you a formula for weight gain and deterioration of health. It is not a formula for health. Now, before we go on any further, let me take a moment to tell you about Defiant Health sponsors. When we return, let's discuss how to make sense out of this dietary disaster of misinformation. The Defiant Health Podcast is sponsored by Paleo Valley, makers of delicious grass-fed beef sticks, healthy snack bars, and other products. We are very picky around here and insist that any product we consider has no junk ingredients like maltodextrin, carrageenan, carboxymethylcellulose, sucralose, and of course, no added sugars. And all Paleo Valley products contain no gluten nor grains. In fact, I find Paleo Valley products among the cleanest of any in their category, and they're truly delicious. One of the habits I urge everyone to get into is to include a fermented food product at least once, if not several times per day in their lifestyles. Unlike nearly all other beef sticks available, the Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are all naturally fermented, meaning they contain probiotic bacterial species. And now, Paleo Valley is expanding their Wild Pastures program that provides 100% grass-fed, grass-finished pastured beef and pastured chicken and pork, raised without herbicides or pesticides and raised in the USA. And they've just added wild-caught seafood caught from the waters of Bristol Bay, Alaska. I'll post the web address in the Defiant Health show notes. Shipping for Paleo Valley products is free for orders of $75 or more. To order, just go to paleovalley.com backward slash Defiant Health. No coupon code required. The 15% discount will be automatically applied. And be sure to take a look at their other products, such as their organic super greens, rich with phytonutrients, and their superfood bars that come in dark chocolate chip, apple cinnamon, and lemon meringue. They're low carb, of course, with 8 grams net carbs per bar. The folks at Paleo Valley have lately been busy, recently adding some interesting new products, including pasture-raised, fermented pork sticks, chocolate-flavored, grass-fed, bone broth protein, grass-fed organ complex in capsule form, pumpkin spice superfood bars with grass-fed bone broth protein, and new essential electrolytes in powder form to add to the potassium and magnesium intake of your lifestyle. Available in orange, lemon, and melon flavors. Web address can also be found in the show notes. And I'd also like to welcome Defiant Health's newest sponsor, BiotaQuest. I've had numerous conversations with BiotaQuest founders, Martha Carlin, and academic microbiologist, Dr. Raul Cano. They have formulated unique synergistic probiotic products that incorporate what are called collaborative or guild effects. That is, groups of microbes that collaborate with each other via specific metabolites, potentially providing synergistic benefits. They have designed their sugar shift probiotic to support healthy blood sugars, simply slumber to support sleep, 
ideal immunity to support a healthy immune response, heart-centered that supports several aspects of heart health, an antibiotic antidote designed to support recovery of your gastrointestinal microbiome after a course of antibiotics. BiotiQuest probiotics are, I believe, among the most effective among all probiotic choices for specific health effects. Enter the discount code UNDOC15, U-N-D-O-C-1-5, for a 15% discount for Defiant Health listeners. Now let's get back to our discussion. Now think back to the experiences I mentioned earlier of wild animals and of indigenous human populations, hunter-gatherer populations, who are unexposed to processed foods, antibiotics, glyphosate, etc., they have virtually none of our diseases. Isn't that remarkable? They have almost no tooth decay. They have no hemorrhoids, constipation, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, depression, migraine headaches, type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, coronary disease, on and on and on. So animals living there, the diet and lifestyle that they're programmed to have into their genetic code, and likewise human hunter-gatherer populations who likewise follow a diet that's programmed into our genetic code, have none of the diseases, or very little of the disease that we have. They have other problems, right? They have infections and, and worm infestations and injury, but they do not have what the anthropologists to this day still call the diseases of civilization that plague us. So what do the diets of hunter-gatherer populations look like? And can we mimic at least the best parts of it that help restore health, and avoid all the health problems that plague modern people. While hunter-gatherer populations, even those living on different continents who have no means of communicating with each other, share several characteristics. One, none of them worry about fat intake of any sort, saturated fat or other fats. They just eat food that has fat in it, and they don't care about fat. In fact, they consume fat because it makes food taste better, and it's very satiating. No hunter-gatherer population consumes wheat or grains unless they trade with Western people. And by the way, when they do trade with Western people, they experience an explosion in tooth decay, diabetes, obesity. You see that, in, for instance, some of the Native Americans and some of the islanders in the South Pacific who are now some have some of the highest proportions of obesity and, di and diabetes in the world when they buy or they somehow trade for Western foods. But if they follow their their traditional lifestyles, they're slender, have no diabetes, and don't have the problems of Western people. Undergather populations also don't shy away from eating organ meats. If you kill an animal and you're going to feed your clan, you don't throw away the brain and heart and tongue and pancreas and stomach and small intestine and liver. You save it and you eat it. And those are rich in a variety of nutrients that are hard to get from other sources, including such things as collagen and hyaluronic acid that have dramatic effects on body composition. Those nutrients, for instance, help determine where fat is deposited. You don't want fat deposited in your abdomen. They also help maintain muscle mass or increase muscle mass, two very important features in maintaining normal weight and health. Well, because modern people don't want to grab their axe, spear, or club and go kill something, we buy things from a grocery store or something similar like a farmer's market or a green grocer. We follow a modern diet that tries to mimic the sort of lifestyle that is programmed into your genetic code as revealed by the habits of hunter-gatherers. So we never limit fat. We include meats. Never buy lean cuts. Never trim the fat off your meat. Eat the fat. 
save what remains and make carcass broth. Please don't make bone broth. Uh, see my, my recent conversations in my drdavisinfinitehealth.com and elsewhere, where it's become clear that if you only use bones and add vinegar, as many people do, it increases the lead content to dangerous levels. So you use only some bones, break open the bones to release the bone marrow, but make sure there's soft elements too, ligaments, tendons, meats, and organs. So make carcass broth. Doesn't sound very appetizing, but make carcass broth, not bone broth. Of course, if you have the will to include some organ meats, such as maybe ground liver to make some pate, you can start kind of easy like that. And whatever you can stomach or get from the butcher to enjoy back into the consumption of organ meats to get your collagen, hyaluronic acid, and other important nutrients otherwise absent in a low-fat sort of lifestyle. We don't eat wheat or grains. Wheat and grains were added to the human diet about 10,000 years ago. And when humans first did that, there was a dramatic downturn in health. For one, there was an explosion in tooth decay. Prior to the consumption of grains, tooth decay was rare. Only 1-3% to 3% of all teeth recovered prior to grain consumption showed evidence of decay, tooth loss, infection, or misalignment. With the introduction of grains into the human diet, 16-49% to 49% of all teeth showed decay, abscess, tooth loss, and misalignment. There was also a doubling of knee arthritis and the appearance of deficiencies, especially that of iron. You can see evidence for iron deficiency in the bony record. It's called parotic hyperstosis and some other observations. And that's due to the phytates and grains that bind iron and cause many people to become anemic. Of course, include plant products, both above ground and below ground root vegetables. Those are very important, especially for cultivation of the gastrointestinal microbiome as the fibers, polysaccharides, and related compounds in plant matter feed microbes that in turn provide numerous health benefits to you, the host, such as production of butyrate, which protects you from colon cancer and enters the bloodstream and reduces blood sugar and blood pressure and deepens sleep and increases dream content. We, of course, avoid processed foods as much as possible. We want foods with the simplest ingredient lists if there's an ingredient list at all. In other words, when you buy an avocado or a tomato, there's no ingredient list, right? So you want whole foods without ingredient lists, but the occasional foods that you buy that are processed, you want the simplest possible. If it's a salad dressing, for instance, maybe it has a healthy oil like extra virgin olive oil, vinegar, and maybe a few spices, but no mixing agents, no preservatives. Because in a modern world, it is not possible to fully compensate for all the deficiencies of a modern diet, we add some nutrients to compensate. That includes fish oil to compensate for our inability to consume ad-lib quantities of fish because of mercury toxicity, nor of shellfish because of cadmium toxicity. So we take fish oil to compensate for its omega-3 fatty acid content, and fish oil only, by the way, not krill, not other sources of omega-3 fatty acids, only fish oil, because if you want to prevent dementia and cardiovascular uh, risk and reduce triglycerides and other beneficial effects, it only comes from fish oil. Because most people are still too averse to consuming or including organ meats, getting collagen and hyaluronic acid supplementation helps circumvent that. And that provides skin benefits, muscle and body composition benefits, bone benefits, joint benefits. We supplement iodine because all humans need iodine for their thyroid function and other effects. And because drinking water is all filtered nowadays, either by the city or in your home filtration unit that removes all magnesium, we have to supplement magnesium. And we take steps to rebuild a healthy gastrointestinal microbiome. We have to accept that virtually all of us have decimated our microbiomes due to a long list of uh, reasons, 
including overexposure to antibiotics, glyphosate, once again, other herbicides and pesticides, chlorinated drinking water, stomach acid blocking drugs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, statin drugs, on and on. Numerous drugs and other factors disrupt the gastrointestinal microbiome. So we try to steer clear of those factors and we try to rebuild our gastrointestinal microbiome, starting with frequent consumption of fermented foods like fermented vegetables or kimchi or kombucha or fermented sauerkraut. So the diet that we should be following is the diet that is programmed, the needs programmed into your genetic code. Now, and we can see what that looks like by simply mimicking and looking at how hunter-gatherer populations who have been following a traditional diet no different than the, their ancestors did 100,000 years ago. So we take lessons from that, but we also have to take steps beyond diet to compensate for the deficiencies of modern diet that we cannot compensate for directly with food, such as those nutrients I mentioned, as well as the disruption of the, gast of the gastrointestinal microbiome. So your efforts can't end at diet. Diet is very powerful, but your efforts cannot end at diet and require additional efforts. Now, if these kinds of concepts interest you, I invite you to join my conversations by, of course, subscribing through your favorite podcast directory to the Divine Health Podcast. Join my conversations in my drdavisinfinitehealth.com blog and my inner circle, drdavisinfinitehealth.com inner circle, where we discuss these kinds of topics, live video every week. There's plenty of video content, text content, very busy discussion forum, and a private Facebook page. And don't hesitate to post a review post a comment, and join this movement of being self-empowered in your health and free of the misinformation of the modern healthcare system. Thanks for listening.